welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perot. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perot on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hey everybody, this is David Roden, the Safety Doc, and I am here today with Larry Roberts of Readily Random, readilyrandom.com, some of the best podcasts and interviews that you will ever find in the podcast must fear. So just cannot recommend Larry enough. I was fortunate to be a guest a long time ago on his show um, but, uh, I, how I got on, I don't know. Larry brings in the absolute top guest. Um, these, these, these stories are amazing. So somehow I snuck in there. So, uh, just want to welcome, Hey Larry, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You, you, you said a whole lot of nice things about me there <laughs> and most of them are true. So yeah, I'll, you know? I'll accept that, uh, op- with open arms. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, um, so Larry and I had talked a while about doing a co-show, and, and I'm really looking forward to our, our show today because um, we both tend to interview people who have very sensitive experiences to talk about. And in addition to that, um, you know, when they're, when they're presenting those sensitive experiences, sometimes they present them in a manner which might seem a little... Um, aloof like the demeanor is a little too easy going for like what this person went through it it's like are they making light of what they went through but no it's like really you know humor when when somebody's expressing humor that's a way for them to sometimes tell a story which is very devastating for them but there's also another part that comes into this and and it's the fact that we have so many tragedies going on um acutely and kind of consistently in 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 the country and just in the world right now that where does comedy fit into this? Um, and you know, when you re- release something, it's it's one of those things where it seems like it's always benchmarked to whatever the moment is in time. So even if like Larry and I were doing the show today, someone might listen to this show four weeks from now after some devastating, horrible, horrific thing has happened in the country, and then they're saying, "Well, uh, David and Larry didn't seem like they were." serious enough about these topic topics at hand. But the other part is, you know, um, comedy is, is, is human and comedy is mental medicine, but yet how do you do comedy, um, is part of shows and how do you help guests with comedy knowing that at any moment, the narrative in the country could change. And, and I'll be the first one to admit, um, I did a show with uh, Katie Pishon of Cajun Navy Relief, which was an excellent show. And, it, and she talked about all these great things the Cajun Navy was doing, um, such as donating boats and, and bringing supplies into Houston and, and Rockport, Texas, after uh, Hurricane Harvey. And I released the show, and about 12 hours later, news hit of the Las Vegas massacre. So I'm sitting there and I have all of these promotional kind of tweets and other things lined up of like, you know, here's, here's the, the good that's happening in America. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can release these because if I release these, are people going to think that I'm dismissing now the Las Vegas, you know, event that happened. Um, So I actually pulled back and I never gave that show the promotion it deserved. And yet now I look back on that and and I'm going to have Larry 
you know, it, we're going to kind of work through both of our perspectives on this. Um, but first of all, Larry, just like give us an update. Hey, what's going on with you? And, and before again, I, and I and I didn't say this out of jest. Um, readilyrandom.com. I go every weekend. I download podcasts, and I I, I download every interview that Larry has done. Um, because one, he's just skillful at his interview technique. And the second is the stories from the guests are so reflective, so insightful. Um, there, there's, there's just, it, it's, it's n- the knowledge and it's entertaining. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I am at the edge of my seat and I'm, I, it's like almost a, I don't know, a, a call to action. Um, and, and, Larry, I mean, I could I could go back and I could recite a number of the shows that I listened to exactly what the character, not the character, but but what your guest had said and and just how, you know, it made me think and, and reflect. So I I think you know honestly, I have a small kind of number of podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis, like weekly. Yours is 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 right there. So oh, I'm very I, honored to hear that. I, I I appreciate that. So so what's going on with you right now? You know, I, I got to tell you, the show is doing amazing things, especially with one of my guests, one of my recent guests, Miss um, Twyla Atwell. Uh, she has started an organization, and it's really picked up some steam. And, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but the, the podcast helped her gain some confidence, whether it gained any overall support for her movement. Uh, she has grown leaps and bounds over the weeks since she's been on the show. And I'm I'm so pleased to see that you know Miss Atwell's got a very tragic and uh, uh, not necessarily tragic, but it, it's tragic in the sense that she did three years in prison, you know. But she's coming through that. She was addicted to drugs. She's now clean. Uh, she's in a halfway house right now, and she's on her way back into mainstream society. She's paid her dues. Right. And the the most awesome part of that story is that she's made a comeback like you wouldn't believe, and she's established a movement. For right now, we're working on maybe going to try to turn that into a nonprofit, but we'll talk about that later. All right. (laughs) Uh, But it's called FDAT. Yeah. And it's, you know, E-F-D-A-T, and it stands for Everyone Fight Drug Addiction Today. Okay. And it's amazing to sit back and watch her grow just in the short amount of time. Uh, She was contacted today by a methadone clinic asking if they could support FDAT and start promoting FDAT. That's awesome. If she supports methadone, certain addicts do and do not support methadone clinics, that sort of thing. Some say it's patchwork. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Just the fact that I'm seeing picture after picture after picture on Facebook with FDAT t-shirts, and now the methadone clinic has reached out asking if they can help. It's just gaining momentum at a tremendous rate, and I'm so excited for Ms. Twyla Atwell. Now, go ahead. No, no, I, I appreciate that interview. And and I, if if I remember correctly, what landed her in in prison, we you kind of questioned it, and I remember listening to it and questioning it. It it didn't seem like it was going to land her in prison, but it was more like a accumulation of events of her life that kind of brought her to that that judgment, which brought her to prison. Well, yeah, I mean, the final straw was when she stole the cop car. That kind of. Uh... That kind of sealed the deal. But that <laughs> happened in Tommy Boy, okay? So don't you, you can't tell me, or was it Black Sheep? All right, I think it was Black Sheep. Uh, it was Sheep. one of the two. All right. And it was okay back then. 
All right. Yeah, you know, it wasn't okay then, though, and she kicked out a window of the car and stole the car, and she's listening to the, right. the police scanner, and she's hearing them chase her on the it's just, Yeah, did she do it, the bees? Bees everywhere. Yeah. Bees, stay away. I'm allergic. Stay away. Yeah. Just leave, leave I don't the even car, know she's old enough to know that movie, to be All honest right. with you. This is where we got to help her out, Larry. We gotta, I understand. Right after this, we're going on Amazon, and, and we've got to set her up because... Uh, yeah, if she hasn't seen, I, I think it's Black Sheep, actually. If she hasn't seen it, she has to. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. You know, I, all I know is that uh, she's she's in her mid to later 20s, so she she probably does. Yeah. I know there's just some guys at work that are in their mid-20s, and I make references to Chris Farley movies quite often and, and other movies from that time frame, and they're like, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same thing. I'm like, hey, you know, Twisted Sister, you know, uh, you know, whatever, D. Snyder. They're like, who? What are you? What are you talking about? I'm like, we're not going to take it. And then like, but but no. But yeah, I, I'm really happy for her. It was it was a powerful, um, you know, uh, an amazing, powerful story. And those are the stories that need to be, hold, be told because I think people get into situations where they feel either one shamed to share their experience or the other one that there is no way out. Like I've done this and now like I'm badged forever and this is just what it is. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you can change the direction of your life. You're in control of that. So, you know, that's what I really like. And especially um, you had a guest, uh, Sean, I fuller, which I mean, I admit, I, I really, I, that's my, a go-to interview. I just, yeah, that one got you. He does the and he does the impression of I don't know who it was from The Walking Dead, but Larry, I think he does your impression too. Like I am Larry <laughs> Roberts from Readily Random, and are you ready to be larger than life? And I, I mean, the, he was he was just so spot on. I'm like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> you were just rocking it. And uh, yeah, actually, he followed me on on Twitter, and then I'm like, oh my That's goodness, good. Sean Iams followed me on Twitter. I'm like, wow. And then he's yeah, probably, he's a good kid, man. Yeah. He, he really is, and you know, he's another one of those stories of recovery. He, he's another one of those that found himself at the at, at the bottom rung of life's ladder, and has managed, you know, just hand over hand and foot after foot to pull himself up up, up out of that quicksand. And uh, and now he's doing his own thing, and he's doing it extremely well. He's got a the uh, what is it, the awkward uh, awkward podcast. Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. uh, awkwardly? Uh, uh, yes. Man, now awkwardly. I feel bad. Sorry, Sean. I am Fuller. We'll uh, find out and we'll give you a, a right. proper plug. This, this so, week, Sean's ratings just go down at this week. So <laughs> just suffers yeah, this like, massive. Yeah, it's got to kind of reevaluate. He's like, I don't know. My analytics were great. What happened? What happened? Dang you, Larry. Dang you, Larry. <laughs> But no, you know, and that's that's kind of the thing that I like to do with my show. I, I I try to maintain, although we mentioned two guests and they both have very similar stories. I try overall to maintain a very diverse guest list. Yeah, you know, like for instance, yourself, you were episode fourteen of the Readily Random podcast, and you were one of the original PhDs that I've had on the show. And you know, I'll intertwine uh, educational experts and subject matter experts, and in with individuals that are young that are inexperienced that are finding some of the pitfalls in life right um i'll bring in a a homeschooling mom that's a mom I, uh, you know a homeschool oh, yeah. advocate yeah that that was that was terrific i, I, I love Nikki's that great she fights for homeschooler rights in the state of texas i i, I want to say throughout the nation but she focuses on texas since that's where we're at 
you know, this week uh, I just released yesterday Dr. Nate Regier. Re- I say Regier. He keeps correcting me. It's Regier, R-E-G-I-E-R, but he likes the French French pronunciation that I introduced as well. So um, his whole uh, take on life is conflict without casualties, yes. and he owns Next Element Consulting, and they – talk to uh, police departments, college campuses, uh, executive boards, uh, corporate uh, entities, uh, you, you name it. He and his colleagues, they travel and they give these speeches on how to have effective conflict and to take the energy that conflict generates. And we all know that it generates a ton of it right. and takes that energy and converts it into something positive as opposed to, say, violence or begrudgment or anything else that would be considered, uh, you know, in a negative light. So that's a great one too. Yeah. I look forward to that. And, and, uh, and just to round out, uh, was it Joe Navarro, right? Joe had, Oh um, yeah. Joe Navarro. I think it was uh, three minutes to midnight. So I'm listening to you interview him and he's like, here's a point in time when we came like, you know, one minute away from nuclear war and here's how he interviewed. I'm like, Oh my God, like I never do any of this. Like, you know, yeah. you're growing up and it's all, <laughs> Here's the moment, and you know the guy pressed the wrong button, and here's I'm like, oh my god! I mean, it's just uh, you know someone that's been there and shares this inside experience. You know, once they've been far enough removed, and once that time has kind of passed by, but I'm like, oh, I, you know, I had no idea. You know, like I mean, all but- of these points were flirting with the, w- with life and death as a society. Exactly. Does does literally saving the entire world? Does that time ever surpass? I mean, I'm I'm going to the grave with that. I'm gonna like get me a shirt or something. Well, I know. Yeah, Larry, I saved the world. Yeah, Larry's like, I gotta or, or uh, yeah, Joe Navarro's like, Joe, like I got I got a T-shirt says I saved the world, and they gave me a pin and and a clock, and I'm like, dude, whatever. You don't know. No, I'm <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I mean, I'm like, holy smokes. I'm yeah, like, he's I, a- I mowed my Real lawn. Real life superhero. I mowed my lawn, you know. But yeah, I I was uh, I I love that, and and again, you know, just how and he's so nonchalant about it, you know, when he when he comes on and, and pres- presents. I mean, he's so modest, and and that again, I really appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast. With the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Um, so Larry, I'm glad the show's going well. I see your Twitter following has has uh, has come out with a large club and has just stomped mine. Uh, <laughs> I am sitting there. I'm sitting there every day, and then like one day it'll be up like eight, and the next day it's down twelve, and it's like the stock market back in like '98. So <laughs> I'm like, what's the hell's going on here? And like you know, and uh, and yeah, so it, it's kind of 
all over the place. But eventually, you know, it, it, it it's creeping in the right direction. But it's kind of funny because I'm like, and of course, um, you know, you got to be careful on, on just watching like who's following you. Hey, I can sell you this, you know. Yeah, whatever, yeah. And, and you can have 30,000 Skype followers or not Skype, but Twitter followers and stuff like that. But then I, I think I am getting now like the genuine. I actually got an email there. I get this. I got an email from a listener in Britain two days, two days ago who listened to one of my shows and actually like detailed out kind of points of the show that this person liked and appreciated the honesty and, and points of reflection and stuff like that. And so I emailed this person back and I'm just like, really, you know, thanks for doing this. Cause uh, um, one, I don't know who all listens to the show, but to take the time and to put some thought into how the show um, impacted you was was really meaningful for me because I, I I really do this to try to reach people, and um, and yeah, that 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 was just a cool thing to get this this out That's of amazing. the blue from yeah from Britain. So it was pretty cool. And uh, for the safety doc, we are approaching. Uh, our 50th episode in about three weeks and nice. it is, it's cool we've aimed uh when i say we it's me and many personalities that reside in my mind as i go through these things but yeah i mean it's like me it's me i put these together you know as 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 you know probably you and, and you edit and you release and you promo and all of that um but and i have had a lot of help from from people, you know, Larry, you're one of them and, and people in the podcast community have, have, have helped in so many ways, but, um, but yeah, there was a podcaster who told me if you can get to 25 episodes, you're probably going to keep going. Like if you can get to 25, like you're going to, and I, I enjoy it. And I did have a, a couple of weeks, um, for the first time, I think I did like 40 straight and then I took like a week off cause, um, I, I had some I'm real intense work deadlines to be under. And then I had like pneumonia. So I recorded a show, you know, and it sounded like, you know, whoever's listening to it should just dial 911 and send them to my house because they're like, I'm <laughs> just like on my deathbed recording this thing. And I'm like, so that show I didn't even put up, but, um, but yeah, I tried to do a show a week and, and I brought in some different guests. And one of, one of the most popular shows I ever did, I interviewed a guy who's in his sixties and he's blind. And, and he's worked for 40 years and the guy's like, just was, was so comedic, but he's telling these stories of like, he worked in a prison and they would have fire drills and he would he would take his guide dog and he'd have to kind of bench press his guide dog up a ladder through a window. Now, granted through, you get out the window and there's a fire escape there. It's not like you drop the dog two stories and then you jump down, but um, he's telling the story along with all these other incredible stories just from his his life you know that are safety related and uh and that that show was extremely popular and a number of people had emailed me and asked for his contact information too and and he was a fun a fun guy to interview and i i think that was for me and that was probably early on that was really a, a experience where i was like okay this this is helping people and there was a, there was a lady who who um, emailed me, Larry, and she she herself was blind and had a guide dog, and she was just starting a blog, and she was saying, this is really an inspiration to me. I mean, she's probably like in her mid-20s, and and she said, this this really meant a lot to me, and here's why. So I try to cover some different areas of safety. It, it, it's funny because people, people who talk about my show, this is how it always happens, Larry. They'll say, it's not as boring as what you would think it would be. Like, that's the preface. <laughs> and it's happened again. Like, I'm listening to a podcast, and, and they're kind of giving me a shout-out. 
and it's a really it, it's it's properly placed but it's in a really awkward manner so it's like they, they preface it by saying like yeah you know like safety's not that exciting but yeah you know david's going to cover a lot of guests and a lot of things all in the range of safety and it's not like ladder clearances and and but you know if you're worried about your kid trick-or-treating and and you know going up to someone's door and they're in blue underwear and a superman or a captain america t-shirt like you know that's that's not a place for them to go so i'm like i never said that i'm like where the hell are you getting this from i'm like i never had that in a show like ever i kind of like get where you're coming from of saying i give helpful advice but you know at least you know don't don't like start freelancing in your your support of me you know because you know not that that's not good advice but i don't have a show on that but anyway yeah so so it's been good and and um i i think you know i found your show and and i i think the shows complement each other um you know i would say yours um you get in you, you know you you bring those deep stories out of people um I might look for specific research articles or something like that, or, or get sure. people to talk about a certain area of expertise. Like I interviewed a drone operator, um, right, right before, uh, right before hurricane Harvey hit. And, uh, I literally, I mean, it was before the hurricane was even like a de- tropical depression or anything like that. And it's a couple of weeks before. And this, this, this guy, commercial drone operator, we did a field interview. So we did part in the the studio with my, I upgrade, I have to upgrade my equipment. You know, the audio kind of was poor on it, but um, we went out in the field and and he was showing how he could like fly this drone out at 70 miles an hour to do like a search and rescue. It was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if, did I, did I share with you the story of Fox News and Hurricane Harvey getting a hold of me, Fox News out of New York? Yeah, you you'd mentioned that they did call, and I think we were actually trying to do something with your website at the time to yeah. get it up to speed in time for the Fox interview. And then, lo and behold, yeah, I'll let you finish. Yeah, I don't want so, to steal your thunder there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so before Larry and I really, you know, we, we get into it, and, and and so anyway, you know, I'm get I guess call in the morning um, as Hurricane Harvey's making landfall, and it's Fox, it's Fox News out of New York, like the the regular Fox and Friends out of New York. And, uh, and this is what it is. It's like, we're sending a car to pick you up and we want you, we're going to take you to a studio in Madison, Wisconsin. And then we are going to cut you into this live show before like, I don't know, 22 million people or whatever it was. And you are going to talk about how drones will be a part of the reconnaissance of after the hurricane, which I am minimally qualified to talk about anything of that level outside of doing this interview with this guy, but I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I mean, because I, you know, generally though, I know, I know surveillance and how this works in the safety and stuff like that. So like, I'm all, I'm excited. Like I'm going to my closet. I'm picking out the shirt and the sport coat. 10 minutes later, they get a hold of me and they're like, Hey, we got great news. We found a guy like in Dallas who uh, we're going to interview instead. So you don't have to do you, your day is free. <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> i'm like um okay and then and then and then they're like yeah like you know what do you think what do you think would be some good questions and i'm like well in joplin missouri you know they took a long time like 15 hours to do like a surveillance after the 
2011 tornadoes and now you can just really probably do that in about you know an hour and a half if you had a series of drones and they're like yeah it's all good stuff it's all great and then and then i interrupt them i'm like you know i could just like do this for you like you know i could seriously it's not a big problem like i'll drive down myself like you're gonna no no you know we're we're fine we're fine thanks a lot so watch this and the guy that they interviewed now nothing against them but all they really wanted was the backdrop it was kind of you know, and I think Dallas was what? I mean, it got a, maybe a little bit of rain or mist. I mean, that was it. Yeah, then, we got a little bit of something. That's so, crazy. Okay, so this guy, like, shows his drone, and he's kind of talking. But he doesn't know, like, the science behind it or, like, the science behind rescue and evacuation and reconnaissance, which I do, I mean, because I have a PhD in this stuff. So so I felt like, I'm like, oh, you know, nice guy. But, I mean, you could have just brought anybody in, in to do that. So. So yeah, I was like all jazzed, and and then yeah, Fox and Friends. Like, hey, your day just opened up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the audacity to, to to tell it like that, you know. <laughs> you go, ah, we got somebody else, but to say your day just opened up, it's just like, uh, should I thank you? Or? Yeah, they were, you know, they were ex- kind of excited, but and it's in, in in the meantime, they send me like this email which gives directions on kind of like what you should do and what you shouldn't do and all these other things. And I don't know. It was it was just funny because yeah, I, I came a sliver away from you know, at least being at least being able to cite you know that so i don't know how you reference on a resume that you were called by fox <laughs> news and for 10 minutes you were the guy you were the guy until they found another guy but you're the guy so well, um, you know you know the one the one good thing you can take from that though is your name is out there people do recognize your name and if you got the first call how did they get a hold of you the first time how many others have you on their list of experts to call now i I don't know if it's happened since then either i'm just trying to be positive here but uh uh, (laughs) at least you have that little feather in your cap you know yeah i i did take the same away from it and i do some uh national consulting um with sprigio which is a the nation's leader in school bullying so i have a, a standing agreement with them where every month we do work together on their interface system so kids can report bullying um so they you know that that's great and when it comes to i do some expert witness stuff in the country and really i get called for some i mean very complicated cases you know which typically involve like death and things like that so um yeah, I mean, my my name is is out there, I guess. But the real highlight, though, once once I made readily random, I like would just bring that back to people. Fox and Friends. I, I was like, I've been on readily random. Oh, is that? How, oh, well, shoot, guy, come on out. We like, got a limo waiting on you. Yeah, they're like, why the hell didn't you bring this up right away? <laughs> Don't you know that's that's how you start these conversations? We're that too, is too the show now. to be on. Yeah. But so, so Larry, so, so tell me about, um, so I listened to your, to when you interview people and, um, I'm just going to talk about Sean Imes. Okay. Because I'm his biggest fan. Damn it. I am. I know. I should have re-listened to that episode. Oh, by the way, I went back and I I pulled up my show notes there and it's a horribly awkward podcast. Okay. Mr. Mr. Fuller's show. All right. All right. Yeah, he's going to unfollow me. I know it. I mean, it took like two months. I kind of had to email him and 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 things like that. And, hey, love you, love your show. By the way, I'm on Twitter, Sean. You know, but honestly, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. I I, I love his work. But um, 
But okay, so Sean comes on, and and maybe before we get into in, into this, um, sure, and it's, it's probably not too much different than Twyla. It and again, this is this isn't the narrative, of course, for all of your guests. I mean, we talked about Joe Navarro and, and things like that, but but maybe you can just give us um, a brief synopsis of of maybe how you brought Sean on your show and maybe Sean's background and what what the show was about. Uh, the show was quite random, actually, and here I have to, and Sean even knows this, so I'm, I'm not I'm not breaking news here. I I, I thought Sean was somebody else. Really? <laughs> there's there's a this an, just another... gets better for Sean. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, like I say, this isn't breaking news. I, I told him this. I'm like, oh, you're not him. Oh, well, hey, how you doing? Right. You didn't play Ulu on Star Trek. That's not you. <laughs> Oh, damn it. But no, man. I knew who he was, too, because he had actually, um, the gentleman that I thought he was, he okay. had been on their show uh, probably more than once. Right. And um, it's all part of, I used to be a, a part of a, a, a network, a podcast network that, they're, they're great. Uh, it's just, um, they weren't for me any longer. Yeah. You know, so we, we parted amicably. Yeah. Um, but it's just because readily random doesn't fit their format anymore. You know, I had a sh- show before that we won't even discuss because it doesn't exist anymore, so it doesn't matter. But it was a different format. It was pure comedy, and right. it was rock. It was awesome. Not really. It's it's dead, so it wasn't all that great. But um, I had known these guys from that network, and I'll even say it, the BS Podcast Network. They they, right. they gathered together several shows, and right. they help promote your show. They're a great group of guys. And, uh, anyways, again, that's how I came across him was from the BS podcast network. And I just reached out on Twitter. Hey man, uh, you know, would you mind coming on the show? I think you got a great story to tell. This would be fun. We have some more interests. Let's make it happen. And lo and behold, you know, he did. So, uh, from that point on, it was, we had some things in common. You mentioned the walking dead character that he does. Uh, that's actually, he does the voice of Dave Fenoy and uh, Dave, Dave Fenoy. He voices, one of the main characters in the uh, Walking Dead video game. Yeah. And Dave Fenoy just happens to be one of my voiceover coaches. Wow. So I know Dave, and he's like, oh, my God, you know Dave? That's crazy. That's so awesome. And that's when he told me he did the uh, the the uh, impression, which he does nail, by the way. Yeah. Uh, he, it, it just went from there. And, the, you know, one of the things I – when I go into a show, I do very little preparation other than knowing who I'm talking to and a high-level understanding of why I'm talking to them. Now, there's some guests, um, like I'm, I'm trying to land another uh, guest for next week, and she's a breast cancer survivor and now okay. a breast cancer advocate. Okay. So, uh, of course, I'm doing my research on some breast cancer statistics and that sort of thing, so I don't walk completely blind into that particular discussion. Yeah. But o- overall... I just like to have conversations. I, I really try to avoid a static interview. And there were some guests back in the early stages of uh, Readily Random where I actually did have a questionnaire. And I asked everybody the same questions. And then I would it, it wind in some other questions as well uh, when the opportunity presented itself. And I, I had I had got this questionnaire from another very popular podcast. I mean, this guy, he makes half a million dollars a year doing podcasts only. And, of course, he tells you how to podcast and how you can be rich to podcasting if you just follow my you know, 10 steps. Right. And um, 
So I thought, all right, I'm going to get some consistency here. I'm going to try this approach. And I hated it. Okay. Cause I, I, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not me to ask the same static questions and try to elicit multiple unique responses. Because if the individual, I think the reason it works for the gentleman that I, I got, got the questionnaire from is because his guests know what they're getting into. I mean, he's done literally his, his, his show was in the multiples of thousands of episodes. He does a show a day. Oh by my way. goodness. Wow. Yeah. So his guests know who he is yeah. uh, and, and they know what to expect. Yeah. And some of my guests don't even know what a podcast is. They go, what, what is that? Right. Oh, right. It's an interview. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. And then even then when they come on, they go, what station is this going to be on? Uh, well, it's the internet. <laughs> So they're just not, media out of Los Angeles. Well, it's there too. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thanks to you. My show's on there too, by the way. But, um, I got away from that after a few episodes. Cause like I say, it just got so redundant Yeah, and I just knew I wasn't going to be able to keep this up for an extended period of time. So I went back to who I really am. And that's just the guy that likes to talk a lot and likes to learn a lot as well. And from that point forward, I decided to take Readily Random and just make it a forum for individuals to share their stories. And it's so much more fun that way. And people, once I start the conversation and they don't feel like they're getting grilled with questions right. and they don't feel like they're being put on the spot to have this answer or that answer or why'd you do it like this or right. Right. anything yeah. along those lines, yeah. they start to open up. You can feel their guard start to start to come down. And I'll use Dr. Nate's uh, episode that it's out there right now. Um, I didn't really know what to expect from, from Dr. Regier, Regier. There we go, Regier. I can't say it even if I try. Um, I didn't know what to expect from him. And I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a PhD, so he's going to be very precise and very sharp with everything he says. Because one of the last PhDs I talked to uh, was probably – not probably. It was by far my most difficult episode of this podcast and it was just so awkward i eventually had to say and i didn't leave this in the in the uh in the episode i was just like uh i don't really know what to say because you kind of intimidate me really <laughs> and, and i was because i would crack a joke and it was just yeah not even a not even a huh. No, nothing, no, no, nothing, just dead silence. And then when he would come back, he would still be so deadpan. So, so Larry, do you think that's because he feels he needed to stay the narrative? Like, you know, in my professional community, people could listen to this and, and I just have to make sure I stick to the narrative of, of doing this professional or, or was it someone who really was just so like, I am just the science person. This is the response I'm going to give to you. They're not trying to be adversarial, but this is just what they are. Right. And, and I, I, I feel that way a hundred percent. Okay. He wasn't being confrontational. He wasn't trying to uh, stir up conflict. He wasn't trying to be a bad guest on the show. Um, he just, I believe that's him. Yeah. He's happiest in his, in his studio and his lab doing his particular craft. And that's where he obviously excels. He's one of the number one uh, practitioners of his craft on the planet. So uh, that's just that's that's who he is. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a for me, it was difficult to adjust to. Right. right. And it, it kind of caught me off guard because usually, you know, I can get somebody to, to relax a little bit after the first five, ten minutes max. 
And here I am, 30-plus minutes into the episode, and I'm still going, God, how am I going to get through this guy's force field, you know? So, all right, well, it's been great talking to you. Got to go, bye. You know? But anyways, that's that's, and I even forget what the narrative of this. What, what am I answering? I'm just. Yeah, rambling. Larry's like, where the hell was the question here? Yeah, you know, put these together. Is it? No, you you you're you're kind of expanding on. You know, you brought Sean Iams on, and you're talking about you know your guests oh, and, yeah. and how your guests you know open up and share things and and uh, and you know so so one of the things that I want to I want to put you know I'm not putting you on the spot obviously but. Um, I'm I'm just asking is so I'm listening to Sean and I'm and loving Sean's interview and I you know I'm and I'm I'm a you know a consumer of podcast and and I can I understand people's stories I mean I'm a critical instant debriefer for a county so I'll work with people I, I might get a call and, it, and then they could say there's been an accident on the interstate that runs past our community you know show up at the fire station and we're going to do a debriefing that you know, you're going to, you're going to be a part of helping people debrief three bodies that were taken off the highway, you know, and, and wow. that just happens. Um, but, and I mean, I've been specially trained for that outside of, of the PhD stuff, but, um, yeah, now, now I don't know where the hell is going, Larry. Now, we, now we've got, <laughs> we got to bring in a third per We got to bring Sean Imes into this because that guy's going to watch every word that we say, but, um, Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. though was you know he's telling his story and and he's you know he's kind of laughing and he's upbeat and he's he's reflective as he's going through this he's talking even to you know about like hey you know when i worked together like he was out in california and everyone was kind of doing speed that's just what we had to do and i had like a nice bike and i had to sell it for like a junkie bike and i had this and anything was just blown for drugs and all this and um and some listening to this and i totally get where he's coming from on this but at the same time I'm thinking there could be someone listening to this who's just thinking this guy's not taking this as serious as he should be. Like not you, but I'm saying like Sean isn't telling his story as as seriously as he should be. I didn't get that impression, but I mean I believe some people like like you like the person you talked about for example a PhD. I think there are right. some people out there who expect a narrative like this to be shared in a very scripted specific format. And I mean, for example, like Larry, where I used to work, like, you know, there, there was no humor in the workplace whatsoever. I mean, it was just not there no matter what. Um, and I think when, when you tell a story like this, um, people use humor. Like I've had people who have, um, you know, attended, you know, car crashes and things like that, who, 
who will do a little bit of 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 a laugh as they're telling something, and it kind of goes back to like the TV show Mash and things like that, where people it's just a mechanism for people feel safe then in saying something. It, it's just it, it's just a vehicle for them to communicate those words. Um, and it's kind of weird because there's a podcaster out there, Stefan Molyneux, and some of the sometimes he'll interview people. And, and he kind of gets on them. Like if they're telling a really hard story and he said, well, it's really hard for me to take your story seriously when you're laughing. I'm like, the person's only doing that as a self-defense thing. This is, sure. this is, they're, they're just shaking as they're telling you this, this, but, um, I, I guess, how do you, are, are there any points like when you're listening to people, when you're thinking, I'm not sure my audience is going to receive this correctly, or do you do any post edit i mean not that you're manipulating what people say or do you work ahead of time with people or i i guess i've run into this on some of my interviews and i'd like to get your take and and i think in general everybody has to kind of deal with this on some aspect of um you know when somebody comes on and the way that they're telling the narrative doesn't quite maybe fit the narrative yeah, it, it's it, whenever you hear you've taken Sean as an example, Twilight as an example. Um, I, I have other guests that have been on that are, are very similar in their storytelling. Uh, it, it's it's hard for me to to step back and go, "Hey, I don't appreciate the way you're presenting this," as long as they operate within the parameters of my show, and those parameters are fairly wide open, with the exception of the fact of keep it clean. Right. This is a wholesome family show. Right. I want I want I want soccer moms to be able to get as just as uh, I can't even talk. I'm so emotional. I want soccer moms to get right. as much enjoyment out of this with the kids in the car as someone else may have at the gym as they're working out. You know, but I want it to be a diverse listening audience, and that's another reason I provide such a diverse uh, set of, of Absolutely. guests. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But the only time I ever go over anything is I say that basically what I just said. I don't go into the whole soccer mom thing, but I, I just go, look, it's a clean show. Please keep it clean. I don't like to edit, and I sure don't like to put beeps in. Right. Uh, right. You know, I, I had one guest that I told him beforehand, and he still dropped a, an F-bomb or two, and I had to bleep him. But it, he's a gym owner. He trains mixed martial artists. Yeah. He's trained world champions. So F to him is just another word in his vocabulary. Right, right. So he goes, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep it clean for you there. And of course it just, boom, he just, you got into the moment. And, but other than that, uh, I don't like to know too much about the guests. Uh, I, I, because if they tell me too much before the show, it's very difficult for yeah. me to react naturally yeah. during the show. I, so if I, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I had, I had an instance where I had a, a, a tremendous guest and at one point in the interview, the guest was, um, had, had mentioned her ex husband and, and was just saying as a matter of protocol of, of, of we were recalling some things that she had done kind of previously in, in the past, it was more informational. And she said, well, when I was with my ex husband, this was the way we approach things. And then all of a sudden I could sense like she felt she stepped over into a boundary she didn't want to talk about. And so she was trying to back herself out of that. And it became like really um, cumbersome for her to, you know, it's like she didn't 
ever even want to mention him in, in the show, but not like disrespectful, but didn't find a way out. So it was one of those things we got done. And I said, you know, it seemed like that wasn't where you want it to go. Um, and what I, what I can do is I can just edit that section out. It doesn't impact your message at all. And she's like, I would appreciate that because I, I, wasn't thinking I was going to go there. It was just a flash memory. And then I had somebody else kind of go off who was doing a great interview and kind of went and started to attack like uh, another, um, I, I, another organization um, in, in the field. And it really started to get pretty intense. And I went back and visited with that person and said, you know what you, when you do this, like, I don't think, I know you were passionate in the moment, but like, if we put this out there, I think it takes away from what you're trying to communicate about your own organization. So my advice is that I'm going to take this section just completely out. Like, I'm just going to take this out because I don't think it serves your message. And I understand, you know, we talk and you know it's live and it's in the in the moment, and then you know go back and 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 you know that guest understood it. I think the guest still kind of wanted it in there, but as my professional judgment, I was like it wasn't really fair to the organization that was being the recipient because they didn't have a chance at rebuttal, and this person did have one opportunity that I left in there just to say that they did have didn't have a congruent view with this other organization. I thought you know there you you made your statement, but you know, something too, I think there's an obligation to kind of protect people because once, once they get going, I mean, you, you and I have kind of done this and, and you've done it more than I have, but you know, we, we can monitor and kind of know the, the direction, but sometimes people start to, to go down roads that they didn't think they were going to go down just where their thought patterns take them. And I think there's an obligation to protect them a little bit without censoring um, of, of just saying, this is, this is what the message of the show was. And then all of a sudden you kind of went off you know, like onto this. And I don't think this helps the the message. I mean, that's at least my, my thought. And I've had to do that a, a, a few times and, and I don't know. I mean, what, what's your thought well, on that? I, I don't have as many episodes with this type of podcast as you do. Uh, so I haven't been, ex- I haven't been exposed to quite as many interviews as you have. However, even on my previous show, um, there were still boundaries, you know, in, in, in that show. And if someone took their their comedy uh, too far or got overly offensive or intentionally attacked uh, uh, a certain group or a certain anything, you know, one stance or the other, um, I was known to to cut that out uh, because, like you say, it's it's not fair to the other party right. to – not have an opportunity to defend themselves. And now me personally, I do my best to keep my podcast as even keel as possible. I've only had one guest say, Hey, what are the boundaries here? Can we talk about this political stance? And can we talk about, you know, this religious affiliation? Can we do this? And I caught myself when I was telling them before the show, I said, um, what did I say? I said, now, Oh, I said, now, obviously I've had, you know, mentions of Christianity on the show. And then I caught myself and I said, why is that obvious? There's just oh, as yeah. many other 
religious right. affiliations that are out there. Right. So I had to retract that. I said, well, okay, I don't want to say obviously I've had Christian influences on the show because what am I doing? I'm alienating all the other religions that are out there in our very diverse culture. So I, 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 that was the only time that I, I – I, and it was me. It wasn't even my guest. I had to draw myself back because that was an awfully arrogant thing for me to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so what – let me go back on on kind of you know following just our our narrative here um i so so i guess um do you think there should be ever a preface now again larry i didn't feel it with like sean or with twyla but do you think there should sometimes be a preface on a podcast like that or even like a a podcast of saying sometimes people, I mean, that's almost probably bringing in like a psychologist or counselor or something of saying sometimes people are going to tell, tell these, these really painful narratives in a way that is almost going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of laughter. There's going to be lightheartedness on their part because they have to keep it at that surface level just in order to tell a story. Um, I don't know. I, 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 here's, here's the reason I see like people being dis- destroyed on twitter or people being destroyed and actually i had I, I don't know if it's a friend as much as it's somebody i followed and was in communication with who who made a blog post that ended up um you know really kind of going viral and, and and this person took some big hits off of that um and i i guess what i'm trying to to, to get at is is I don't know if everybody out, but maybe if you're not getting feedback, you know, if someone's emailing you saying like, I think this person took this too lightly, or I think this, you know, if, if there's young people listening to this, they're going to, they're, they're going to glamorize the, the message that's been told. I, I don't know. Um, and maybe I'm off here and maybe I'm feeling something that's not there, but I just, I just know these stories of people who, end up with a post that it gets misinterpreted or a podcast that gets misinterpreted and excerpts taken out and suddenly you know they have this this firestorm against them on twitter and but at the same time you know we 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 can't live that way as podcasters um right and that's where i was that was where, where i was going to take my next response was you know that's one of the cool things about being a podcaster is you can take your show if you so choose in any direction that you want. And individuals have obviously the choice to either listen or, or turn you off. Uh, there's no ratings per se to worry about, unless of course you're, you've got, you've got uh, um, ads that you're promoting as well. But even then uh, the statistics and the measurements there, your CPMs and whatnot, they're not so ridiculous that if you offend one or two people that they're going to drop off dramatically. Um, and that goes back to kind of what I was saying in that, I don't like to know too much about the show, and I don't really like to put strict parameters around an episode. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, you know, I, have I ever had like somebody that would be just grossly offensive on the show to one party or the other? No. You know, and that that comes down to my judgment. Do I even invite them on the show? Right. Right. So. So have it, you ever done a show? And then, you know, you're done recording it and all of a sudden something happens on a national or um, world scene 
that it's like, oh, like, I, you know, I, I just did did this show and now or even, um, you know, like Joe and all of a sudden the next day it's North Korea is threatening to bomb the U.S. Does that change how you deliver that show? Um, how you hashtag that show out? Do you have a different sensitivity to that? Or is it like, no, I, I don't know. Because I'll share with you, you know, again, my experience sure. you know, when, when the Vegas shooting came out, because it, because it, I didn't, it definitely changed the way I promoted a show. And I, I probably, I probably really under um, valued um, a, a really terrific interview just because I, I got caught up in, in not wanting to, um, yeah, put an image out there of, oh, look at all the good that's happening in the United States, of course, and then someone saying what's this guy trying to do like 58 people were just killed you know a day ago but has that ever happened to you where all of a sudden you get done and and this whole context where you record it has changed and and now it impacts your show it definitely could have with the with the navarro episode honestly i think joe navarro is really the only guest that i've had that would be put into a position or, or the show, uh, the topic would, would, would ever be really put into a position to where, uh, it's, it's insensitive per se to, uh, to release it. Now, if something tragic had happened and Joe, for some reason, didn't save the world again, and we were looking at mass casualties, I, and I happen to be lucky enough to survive, I, I would have probably taken that into account and thought, well, you know, this is not the time to be saying, hey, we saved the world when Chicago's been destroyed and New York's, you know, I, heaven forbid any of that happens, but I'm saying hypothetically. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I would not have, I know I would have given it additional thought. Um, would I have still released it? Probably not. I probably wouldn't have released it at all. And I've only done that with one episode of Readily Random that I recorded and I simply did not release it. Okay, and I hated doing that. I hated not releasing it, but um, there was just circumstances surrounding the episode that I felt well, I felt disrespected. Let's just throw it out there. Uh, the individual that I was interviewing um, was I could hear him playing video games the whole time. We were, <laughs> oh we were and this is an adult. This is yeah. I'm not talking a child. This is an adult. He had, yeah. you know I'd pick him in his mid thirties. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, ding, oh, ding, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, ding, ding, and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> right. So if, if you can't give me the respect of 30 to 45 minutes of your time, because that's all my shows run normally, uh, then, you know, I, I can't put you out there, I'm sorry. But that's the only time that I've ever been put in a position to even consider not releasing an actual episode, hypothetically speaking, sure. Joe would have definitely been one that required some additional thought, but something like uh, your situation though, I, I probably would have put a preface on, this is just me. I'm not telling you how to do your show by any means, please don't take it that way at all. But if I yeah. was to do anything with that episode, if I had interviewed someone that was uh, from the, what was it? The Cajun Navy there that was helping tremendously and, and, right. and just really great message. Uh, you know, I definitely see myself putting a disclaimer at uh the the front of that particular episode you know uh, i just want to say that in light of the events in las vegas our hearts go out to the you know just whatever i would pin something very very uh appropriate 
And then I would have just recorded that on the front end of that message and let everybody know that we know where our hearts are right now. But look, it's, you know, everything's not bad. No matter what the media wants us to think, our entire country is not doing this like we saw in Vegas. Right. So I, I, I think I would have done something like that. Yeah, that's that's good advice because, um, you know, like I said, it was hard. Even like I'm, I'm thinking like, should I hashtag it out as like Vegas shooting? Um, you know, when I'm doing it on Twitter is one of the hashtags because then, you know, I'm hoping there are people who are going to read this who are probably, again, it's just, you know, uh, devastated by this it feels like it's a it's a, another slam against um humanity and maybe someone's going to read this and, and think hey you know it, it's like a, it, there was that song i think uh, by Anne murray in 1983 uh i sure could use a little good news today um and and maybe this that was something and so so yeah i, I you know i got to work through that and i i remember larry and then um i want to get on um, you know, kind of to our, to our last segment here, which is going to be just kind of you and I before the, the advent of social media, you know, back in our college days, I think like we're one year apart in age, um, and, and talking about some of just the humor back then. I mean, this was humor of, in that era, there wasn't the internet or, or social media or things like that. And just, just a different time of, of what, of what humor it was. But, um, but yeah, um, it's really hard. I remember after the nine 11 attacks, sure. There, there was, um, a, a comedy show put on in New York. Now, now I'm fuzzy. I haven't researched this or anything, but I believe it was at that time, like, you know, maybe four or five of the biggest comedians, Jerry Seinfeld and, you know, whoever the others, but, but I believe they came together and they struggled with this and they admitted it. I don't, I don't know if they came on live before and just addressed the audience, you know, for like 10 minutes and said, listen, you know, we're comedians. This is what we do. We feel like, you know, comedy is part of life and um, we don't, you know, we don't know how this is going to go. It, it's a bizarre feeling for us, but, but this, you know, feels like we need to do this as a distraction and part of a healing process. Um, and or they might have recorded that and, and just played it before, but somehow, like as you said, there was a preface like before this, like so they just didn't burrow out on stage and just get into routines, and and that was really kind of the stepping on this this kind of ice, you know, of of just like how's this going to go? I mean, how are people going to receive it? And and the fact was, people were were just like thirsty for it because they had been denied, and and you know, even though it was did it feel right or did it feel wrong? I mean, it was always part of what had been there in, in our society. And, and I think it was one of those healing measures. Um, and, and there was, you know, some time that had passed and they, and they did preface it. So yeah, it, it's really interesting. And I, and I think something that I would like to learn is to talk with, uh, you know, like a, a psychologist or, or, or someone like that, or, you know, if that's an interview that you have, have down the road, I mean, I don't have anyone lined up, but someone who who talks about the interface of, of humor and comedy and tragedy, and it's not only that it's episodic anymore. Tragedy is that, you know, what is it, 59% Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and the people don't have anything safe for retirement, and the people our age are taking care of their parents and taking care of their kids, and you know, all of these things and, you know, and now we're globally having to worry about being, you know, 
a nuclear target at any time <laughs> right. because, you know, um, you don't think it's, it's going to happen, but it doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, it couldn't happen. Or I, I, I watched some documentary not too long ago and it's like, you know, there's the, and, and, and so the documentary said, there's really kind of two threats out there right now. And, and the two threats are, there's like 73, um, briefcases from the Soviet Union, nuclear briefcases, like just the size of a Samsonite briefcase that could wipe out like a block and a half of a city. But they're like, you know, imagine if it was New York or if it was in Washington, like what it would have and then fall out and all this stuff. There are like 73 missing. And then they said the other part is with GPS systems, um, there, there are now, um, I guess terrorist groups who are who are trying to imitate the GPS pings. The pings are very very light. So like when your like when drones pick up pings or like your Garmin or something, the signals are extremely weak. Um, and there was a scientist in Japan a couple months ago who uploaded it to a uh, a available to anybody clearinghouse website ways to test like GPS systems. And after he did it, like you know his colleagues were like, hey hey. Hey, like you just kind of gave the blueprint of how to make a model to mirror a GPS system, which would give false information. And if that happened, you know, like planes would crash and cars and, you know, so this guy's like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, they took it down. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, it's out there. But, um, so the guy, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, well, really, like if there's, if there's going to be like huge mass things, these are probably like the two realistic things that are going to to happen um so so yeah it's like but at the same time larry you know my 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 mom tells stories of growing up during world war ii and they would do the air raid siren and it was a small community but wisconsin so i mean it, it was logical that there could be soviet bombers coming in from over canada i mean the narrative worked but um you know, they would have blackouts at night. So you'd, you'd, the fire alarm would go, the siren, and then everyone would have to shut off all their lights. And then they would have people in the uh, civilian patrol, you know, just from your community who would walk up and down streets and make sure, like, all your, your window shades were pulled and stuff. I mean, this is my mom, you know. Wow. She's still alive today. Um, and then also uh, the duck and cover drills, you know, that they would do the sirens and you'd have to go underneath your desk um you know because of of yeah thinking that there's going to be an air raid and and just i mean there was a real authenticity so every day you're living through that too back in that time but then you know what did you have i mean you had um bob hope you know comedy and i mean it's different (laughs) but i mean but you had you had that because it was necessary i mean it was um and and you know um so Again, I mean, I think this is this is important, but we're in this age where people can hash, you know, take a, a something that's tweeted and take it out of context. And I don't know, it doesn't change what I, I guess it does change what I do and maybe it shouldn't. Um, but the Vegas thing for the first time really was when I thought oh, I'm going to have a hard time promoting this show with Katie because I, I just don't want this to come off as seeing seeming like i'm trying to capitalize on vegas to say yeah but look over here look over here look at all the great stuff happening down in you know texas right now with sure. with uh, cajun navy and i'm like but it i did the show beforehand and so and it, thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast 
with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. tough scenario to find yourself in uh i and i don't know that there is a right answer um you know you're talking about comedy and and positive messages and something uplifting um and i honestly don't think that everybody needs that you know granted there were hundreds of of individuals that that got injured and uh, what was 58 i believe lost their lives it's a horrible horrible situation um I, i haven't seen anything as far as backlash for uplifting efforts or comedic efforts in regards to LA, or LA, Las Vegas, I'm sorry. It, but I have seen there's a, a new series coming out on, on Netflix, The Punisher, which is very violent. He's a you know, superhero guy that just blows stuff up. And they're boycotting that in the wake of the Las Vegas oh, yeah. uh, violence. And to that, I can understand. You know, now here you are. Now you're going to promote violence when that level of violence and very similar violence just injured all these folks and, and took that many lives. But if they were well, and then they're they're releasing comedy shows all the time. You know, you go to your must see TV or whatever it may be. I don't even know. I don't watch that much TV. But <laughs> whatever they're calling it these days, uh, you still got your thirty minute sitcoms, and they're still laughing and they're still carrying on. They carried on the very next night. Um, they probably carried on moments before it happened. Right. Um, and, and it's not out of disrespect. And they don't pull the plug on on uplifting shows to 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 in the wake of such violence, right? So I think as long as you show a mutual respect uh, for those that were caught up in it, I, I don't personally see how you can be uh, looked at it in a negative light. And you know, I don't know if you watched the uh, you know Jimmy Kimmel the the night. Um, after, you know, when he came on and, and, you know, about 15 minutes, you know, right with, with tears was very passionate and, 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 and put this as a, as a gun narrative. And I'm not putting, I don't want to go any, anywhere with this discussion of saying gun narrative or not gun narrative. Right. But, you know, I study this stuff enough to know, and, and as more information has come out about, um, Stephen Paddock, um, you know, he was, he was pretty well versed in explosives and with the resources he had, if you would have taken, and I actually, I did this, like I, 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 I did, you know, some of, I gathered some of the information and, and kind of mapped a little bit of this out. If you would have taken, um, like a Timothy McVeigh type attack, if, if this guy would have chosen to do a fertilizer bomb in a van and the way the access was for that facility and I'm kind of doing like where the, the, you know, the, the waves went out because basically it would have just, you know, instantly killed 
fifteen hundred people to five thousand, if not more, instantly. Sure. It would sure. have it would have basically liquefied the bodies. Um and and some looking at this thinking, okay, if that would have happened, because this this guy had the capacity to do this. And, you know, we're taking mental, you know, if mental illness was was the case, it's really weird too, because people are like, well, mental illness, mental illness screenings, okay, I get that. But anybody who is wealthy, and if you're in Vegas and you're wearing sweatpants and sandals and you're a million, you know, have a million dollars and you're going to a casino, someone's going to just be like, that guy's arrogant. He's arrogant. He's wealthy. He's arrogant. You know, he's just, and that's what arrogant people that have money do. I mean, no one, no one's going to, to raise these, these red flags. It's going to be like, you know, that's what money has, that's his lifestyle. That's what he's doing. But, um, but I'm thinking, I'm trying to take this, this narrative. What's the narrative the next day on like Jimmy Kimmel, if instead of, of, you know, uh, Stephen Paddock, using these these rifle you know these assault weapons what if it would have been a timothy mcveigh type attack and you would have had you know let's say 5000 people fatalities i mean absolutely horrible but that's how it would have played out the wave would have taken that many people out there were not barriers and things like that if not more right um and so then what does the discussion become because the ultimate item there is like it's mental illness you know it's a it's a person that has this this manifesto to inflict harm who has this high level of intellect and these capabilities to use multiple means to deliver it and did choose what the the guns but could have easily chosen explosives because demonstrated an expertise in that area or with the money he had could have obtained that so it's i struggle with that because i'm like i don't know what the 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 narrative then becomes if the means of delivery changes, even if the root cause, it, the, the root cause is static, mental illness, anger against society, whatever, you know, right. that, that's, but if this, this means of delivery changes, what, what does Jimmy Kimmel come on and talk about that night? I mean, what's the legislation? So I, I don't know in a way I looking at it, you know, through that, that perspective i'm kind of like i i know where you're going with with that like you know and he's a comedian obviously and he said you know it's hard to to do comedy after some these constant things but i'm like i i don't know i the more and more you know the information kind of comes out and things like that i'm I'm just like what i i I guess like i'd I'd be curious just to to understand from him what his narrative might have been had again this been like a McVeigh type bombing, um, which would have resulted in, in numerous more. And so I, I struggle with that. Maybe from a researcher, maybe from a safety perspective of of just saying um, root causes of, of of things seem seem to get lost or obscured or. I, I don't know. Does it make it sense, Larry? I mean, can you can you throw some? No, light it makes on that? a yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that I can throw any light on it, but I can definitely see where you're coming from, and it, it's almost as calloused as this response may sound. It's it's not intended to be, but it almost sounds like the casualty count controls the narrative, and, and at the same time, you can say that although the root cause is the same, the method the method presents either an opportunity for a political stance or 
it doesn't. I mean, you, if you'd have had a Timothy McVeigh type situation, sure, you're going to have some gun or anti-gun rhetoric, um, but not nearly as much when the entire scenario played out with firearms. Uh, you don't hear a lot of people going, hey, uh, no, no cargo vans, you know, and no explosives, no fertilizer, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so there's a certain there, you know, there's so many other parameters that come into play when laying out that type of an argument or that type of response. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I struggle with that. And then, and, and, and then just to build upon that, you know, like our local media here in Madison, Wisconsin, the next day they're interviewing school officials and they're saying, well, what if that would have happened here? Like, what's your response? So, that, so they're transferring this event, which is, you know, uh, 22,000 people outdoors at night, you know, in a 30, in a 32, you know, stories that this guy is up and he's firing and all stuff. I'm like, you can't do that. Like you, no, they're you, not even similar. They're not even similar. And all you're doing is you're just trying to get ratings. And, and of course, people love to be on the, the TV and, and represent. And of course say, well, we're prepared. We drill. And I'm thinking there's no way, like if there was a football game at your football stadium, which seats 3,500 at night and someone's up from an elevated position, a tree stand, a block away, you know, it's, you could have had probably something similar. I mean, I, it's, it just is so infuriating to me when the media does this and I have to remind myself, I mean, I know it's a click through, it's a grabs thing for, for eyes and in three days later, they're on to something else. But, um, and then, yeah, interviewing and, and giving and bringing it to the backyard because then, you know, like I've got kids, seven 11 and they watch this stuff and then they're thinking, well, was like, and they know, you know, dad studies this stuff, but, the, you know, can this happen here? Well, in theory, I mean, it could happen everywhere, but this is like a, this is a circumstance that was specifically to this location and the scenario. And, but yeah, I, I, I hate it when these narratives, because the context and situation is different. So, you know, it's like, you know, here was a car accident. Now, well, what if, what if it happened here? Well, you know, what was the, the composite of the road or the speed of the cars? What was the weather? I mean, what was this? What was the time? What was the daylight? What was the angle of the sun? You know, how much fatigue did a driver have? I mean, all of these things, though, people like they just transpose. There wasn't, there was, there were three researchers, Larry, who did this article and they're like the top, some of the top disaster researchers in the world. And they, they did an, uh, they did a research study and, and they compared the Murray City bombing in 2000 or in 1995 to the 2001 World Trade Center attacks. And, and they, they were, they basically came up with all these comparisons and stuff like that. And I'm going through the study. And, and it got to the end and they gave recommendations and it's like, you know, the communication systems were not robust in either of these scenarios and whatever. And we're going through this. I'm like, yeah, that's not really true though. Like you're, you're pulling two contexts. One is in 1995, there were 16 million people that use the internet worldwide. Right. 1995 and 2001, half the U S had the internet. Now, most of it was like text-based, but people were getting information. Actually, the media was really on top of, of, um, covering the uh world trade center attacks so they were getting information out like you know pretty much every hour and they even started the subways before tower what was it seven collapsed so i mean the, the, the you can't and i mean it's new york city it's millions of people you have one you know all the arteries are shut off on the way in murrah is like pretty isolated to this one area you can get north south east west i'm like you can't compare these like they're two different completely you know times and the amount and the biggest thing too is like information coming into to disasters 
But anyway, I could go on on that. But that, it, it really, it, <laughs> God, it irritates it, no, it, me to no end because, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to dismiss media people. But at some point, you know, like professionally, when I work with with schools or or businesses, you know, I I have to say, I mean, these these are just people who are they're they're reading what's off a teleprompter. I mean, these are not investigative journalism, you know, folks. These are people reading off a teleprompter, and I don't I don't know. No, you know, and the whole thing that frustrates me the most about it is that. Most people don't put enough thought to draw those parallels. They just go, oh, well, if the news is there, by golly, then little Sally is in trouble here at the school in Wisconsin. They don't even consider anything beyond what the 530 News says, or they don't look at the various parameters that really played into the event. They look at the event as a whole. And maybe I know you look at it differently because that's your background. Uh, I, I like to think that I look at it differently because that's what interests me. Uh, and I'm a podcaster, and I like to talk about these things and the extent of the cause, and uh, obviously the effect, and what are some of the after effects, and you know what really played into that happening. Um, all of those come into play for me personally, uh, especially Vegas. I had friends in Vegas. I had friends at that concert, as a matter of fact. Wow. You know, and they posted a 60-some-odd second video of them running and ducking for cover and Walter grabbing people and pulling them to the concrete and getting them out of the way. I mean, I know these people. I hung out with these people when they lived in Texas, and they're great people, but they're right there in the fray. So, you know, I definitely had some inside information there, and, and now that some time's passed, I've considered trying to get them on the podcast, and, you know, we've, we've talked on my previous show, but just about silly stuff, you know, trucks. That's what he and I have in common. We love trucks. We're from Texas. and uh, Sure. <laughs> but uh, I think it would be great, not great, it would be extremely insightful to hear someone that was actually there. And they're not manipulating facts. They filmed it. They have video on their on, the, on their phones, you know, or their cameras, whichever it was. I'm sure it was their phone. It was Vanessa's phone. And there's no manipulating what happened. Now, of course, they're not up on in the hotel. They don't, they don't know Mr. Paddock. Uh, they they don't know all of the details that come into play and why it was planned and how it was planned and was there another shooter was there you know was there a uh, uh, someone really going through the crowd saying you're about to die you're about to die yeah you know what was all that happening um, you know what did his girlfriend have to do with it why was she in the Philippines why was he wiring money I mean just all you know endless questions are there but they do know the fear that they experienced on the street that night and they do know the carnage that took place and they do know the fear that they saw in everyone else around them, you know, and that's a, that's an insight that not many, well, 20 some odd thousand people have. Right. Uh, but aside from that, that's a very small subsection of, of our, our country. So. Wow. Well, Larry, you know what? Hey, let's, uh, now that we're all mad, now that, dang we're, it. All, now that we're all mad, turn the media <laughs> against us. <laughs> Sean's. You'll never get another phone call from Fox. I'll tell you that. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Sean's, uh, you know, calling around uh, all these, yeah, agents and stuff like that. Hey, what can you do to, to prop up my clicks? I just took some big hits here from Larry and David. But, um, but no, 
I'm going to move us right now into a time. So, you know, we were, so we're both in our, you know, mid forties and I, I remember, you know, college as, as being a time right before the internet, the internet at my college started my last semester and my roommate had, um, he was in a paper science major. So, you know, they make paper and, um, he had a friend in another college and at night he would go over to the computer lab and he would email this friend, you know, on the very basic first primitive email system. Sure. And I remember him telling me about this. And back then not everybody had an email account. You had to like sign up for one. And, but I was like, what is this stuff? You know, and I still had an Apple IIe, which had the floppy disk and, you know, there was no internet or anything like that. And you didn't have cell phones. Um, but you know, I'm looking back at, at some, some of the college humor and, and I got a couple of really, really great stories to, to share. And, you know, I hope you do too, because I, I do want people to, you know, like, okay. So like the P the person you had on who, who kind of stuck to the, to the, to the narrative of the PhD of being very much of the PhD with the shirt buttoned all the way to the top and all of that, nothing against that, you know, but just, right. That, right. You know, and I guess I used to be that way and I'm not that way anymore because, I don't really have that organizational accountability, I, I guess, you know, where, where someone's going to call me in and say, yeah, like Dave, you can't, and I don't, you know, I don't do anything that off the wall, but um, you know, I do have to kind of watch what I put out there because all of this does get watched. If I do um, expert witness work, I mean, they pull up everything that you do and everything you've ever written. Sure. And, but you know, at the same time, you're before a jury that's familiar with social media. So I, I think some of that actually works in your advantage. Um, but, um, you know, unless, unless Sean Iams is in the jury, because he's like that Dave guy, here's my chance. Chance. I got stare, you now. <laughs> stare me down. You're goner. Oh, but anyway, so, um, how do you want, can we, can we just like volley? I'll do one. You do one. I'll do one. You do one. We can, we, we can sure try to volley. Um, I, I'm, I may have a story. Uh, I have been desperately racking my brain. What? For, I'm telling you, my life is just the fact that I'm here is comedic. So <laughs> just the fact that I'm still alive is comedic, but I'm dying to hear the volcano story. Okay. Oh my. So let, let, hit, hit me with the volcano story and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm go. I, I attend college, um, at UW marathon center, which is a two-year college located, you know, about 15 miles away from my house, my small town. So I can, I can drive to college the first couple of years, which is great. And, um, in, in, it's located in Wassa, Wisconsin. So, um, Wassa has a ski hill. It's called Granite Peak. So it's, it's a mountain, you know, and I don't know what the height is, is like the second tallest, you know, in, in Wisconsin, but you know, it's, it's, it's a mountain. Okay. So in the town, this whole community of like 35,000 is built around it. And then there's this two-year college. And my second year at the college, I was, um, voted in, and I don't know how this process went. It wasn't anything like you ran for, although I did run for president of student, not student council, student body or whatever it was. I got put up to do that because there was a guy who was running for vice president who didn't want it, the president job. He just wanted the vice president job. So he's like, and I, I played basketball there and people kind of knew me and they're like, would you run? I'm like, yeah, we lost anyway to this guy, Mike Adigma, who went on to be a doctor and all this stuff. But, um, any, anyway, uh, so I got to be an ambassador. So basically there were like 12 of us 
and you know it in they gave you like the the vest i mean it's kind of like posing for the picture from revenge of the nerds with the tri lamb shirt on and all of that <laughs> and it's still up there in the hallway it's it's in, they've renovated this building and added, it's nothing like it was when i was there it was you know when i when i was there it still had lockers i mean it was a two-year college it had lockers at a gym and it had a gym that was about like 10 levels below the quality of the gym of my t- small town high school. I mean, it was like, you know, loose floor tiles, still metal backboards. I mean, it was just crazy, but, um, but you know, I, I will say it was a, a great professors. I enjoyed it. It was, it was just the way that it was at the time. So anyway, I'm there, I get named him ambassador. So an ambassador's role was to um, give new prospective students like tours of the campus and tell them about the campus, the history and ask questions, um, show up at certain events, um, you know, fundraisers and things like that and be an usher. Um, and then, you know, certain days they would, you know, you would go out and just greet students, um, different faculty events, things like this. There there was one time, um, we all got together at the Dean's, um, cabin, which was exceptional, and I thought it was formal. It was like in summer. So everyone was wearing shorts and like, you know, a tank top. And even the dean, I show up in like, you know, khakis and, you know, like a nice dress shirt. And that's all I have. Right. You know? and, then, and then it's like the three hour drive up there and it's like 95 degrees. And and I remember like the dean's like, I got an extra pair of swim trunks. If you want, like, you know, that make you feel more comfortable. I'm like, no, no, like that wouldn't at all make me feel more comfortable. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Find the way I'm like right now, you know, I don't need swim trunks and a dress shirt, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, one of the things that I was asked to do, so the Dean said, um, now, you know, this is like, you know, I don't know, 2000 students attending this. So it's almost like a big high school. So the, like the Dean knows you. Um, and so he said, we have a, we have a candidate coming in for a position in i don't know history or whatever and and this guy was from like arkansas or kentucky or somewhere like that and he goes i I need you to give him a tour of the town so they have you know the the one vehicle you know like back then the ford escort with the uw marathon center logo on the side they're like just drive him around show him the town and, and just answer questions and stuff like that i'm like yeah not a problem so we get in and, and, uh, and this guy's pretty cool, but he's young. He's a young PhD. So he's probably like late twenties and I can tell he's nervous and you know, what am I? I'm like 19 and you know, we're just driving around. So all of a sudden I just start creating these stories and I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I said, this is, this is a unique community and it's before the internet. So he couldn't fact check any of this. And I'm not sure like how much <laughs> research he did beforehand. <laughs> and I was a great storyteller. I still am, you know, like, um, and I could tell this stuff like super, super dry. And I'm like, yeah, I said, strange thing about living here is this is built on an inactive volcano. So like that is all like, you know, morphometic rock. I'm just making this stuff up as I go, you know, and I'm, and so I'm like, we'll, we'll, we'll drive up there to the top. I'll kind of show you some of the stuff and, and things like that. So, um, the guy's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And once in a while, you know, you can see steam come up from the volcano and, you know, and, you know, like there's all these homes around, you know, just, it's, it's, it's inactive, but you know, Mount St. Helens was inactive too. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. And I live like 15 miles from it. So it's just, it's, see, it's one of the things if you grow up, you know, you're kind of used to the, the inactive volcano the guys like, really? Wow. So, you know, he's thinking, I don't know if I want to move my family here. I got to think about this. Um, so we get to the top and there's literally, there's all this like, you know, 
these big boulders on top of this 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 mountain and um which have always been up there i mean we, we went up there as kids i mean so i knew it was all up there so right. i'm telling me yeah you know this is all left over and it's a volcano and rock and from the last time you know like you know how many thousands of years ago and so guys fascinated by this absolutely fascinated had no idea this existed you know so uh i take him back shake his hand he appreciates the tour all the stuff next day next day you get called in by the dean and uh i'm sitting across from him and he said you know you know you gave you gave this this tour yesterday and uh he said do you can you help us understand why when we were talking to let's say joseph about our community you know he spent a lot of time talking about the volcano can you can you help me understand that dave and I'm like, you know, kind of. And he's like, you, you can't do that. <laughs> and he's kind of laughing a little bit. And and the, I don't think I don't think the guy got hired. But I mean, so you know, probably going to get a defamation suit in the mail here. But <laughs> to just go and track the picture down, you know, that's up in the hallway. But but yeah, he brings me in, and it, and it is it's almost like an Animal House type scene but i mean and i knew why i was being called in and he's looking at me and at the same time he's got kind of that look in his eye of like if i was your age i might have done the same i probably would have told him though at the end like i was just kidding you know like but i didn't i didn't i never told this guy so he goes in and and yeah he he tells this story um and, and i'm sure they asked him they're like where where did you exactly pick up on this you know the guy the guy you know the, the cool guy doing the tour of the volcano <laughs> i went back up i got some rocks i'm gonna take them home and you know stuff like that but so yeah i i uh i i kind of i got sizzled for that one and i never got asked to do a tour again like that was it i was not the tour guy um yeah that 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 was that was done you know you're still struggling with that one aren't you <laughs> i it was it was awesome. It was I was so on my game, and this this and, and he was he was he couldn't get enough of it. I mean, you know, I, it was just it was just amazing. Um, so yeah, it, and the next day, I mean, getting called in. Um, so it didn't, you know, I, I still kept my my uh, I, I didn't get my shirt taken my vest taken away or anything like that. So that was that was one of the things as an ambassador. So I'm gonna pull back but the volcano story and see that i mean i think that's good humor I, I i think that is that's the type of humor that people appreciate this guy probably didn't appreciate much afterwards hopefully it's some straight but i mean i think that's the kind of humor you know no one's getting hurt you're not vandalizing things things like that or whatever i mean you're 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 just kind of in the moment you know i think I don't know. Maybe Larry's like, "Oh my God, Dave!" Like, no, no. <laughs> where, where in the world? What in the world were you? Were you? Yeah, did you? Were you on probation after that? Or no, not at all. You all know, right. we we did we did something. We had. I, I worked in the office at the time, and we we always played pranks. We were always pranking each other, trying to one up each other in pranks and in. One of the ones that I, I, I like to do, uh, and I had thought of this one, and I probably shouldn't have at the moment, but the phones there were black. So uh, I, I got a ink pad and oh. took <laughs> took the black ear, the earpiece and the mouthpiece and stuck them on, <laughs> on the ink pad. 
and uh, then page so-and-so, right? Right. So so-and-so comes in, they answer the phone, and they're like, dude, you said there was somebody here for me? I'm like, ah, I don't know. Maybe they hung up. They got tired of waiting. I don't know. So, of course, when he puts the phone down, he's got a black ear and right. smudge all on his chin, and he's just he's, – he's all inked up on the right side of his face. And uh, needless to say, man, I could not believe, but he – was this way for like six hours really before anybody said anything <laughs> and he's sitting there trying to have some serious conversation with somebody and finally they went do you know that you've got you know um stuff on all over and of course he goes to the bathroom and looks right. he was livid and well, so needless to say, he had to he had to one up me, but uh, it was hard to one up that one. I can tell you that because just for the length of time, you know, he had it on for six hours right. at least, right? <laughs> helping people, people coming in. Hey, can you help me with this? Or hey, can I pay this? Or hey, whatever, asking questions, and he's all, doo, 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 I know what I'm doing, and <laughs> half his face is black. <laughs> yeah, people are like, don't say anything. It's a medical condition, you know, elbowing <laughs> each other. What, what was going yeah. on there? I don't know, We're an equal a, opportunity employer. Yeah, it's a treat, treatment. Guy's got a rash or something like that. Don't say anything. <laughs> Look away. Look at floor. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. One of my better ones. Wow. Hey, well, I've got, I've got another one. Okay. It, 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 uh, and it, you know, it springs off the ambassador, um, the program, which, yeah, amazingly looking back did not end after the 91, 92 school year. But, um, so, at the end of uh, my sophomore year, they have a, in the Performing Arts Center, a big ceremony to celebrate the people, I don't know, graduating with associate's degrees. And then also the scholarships are giving to the incoming grads, recognizing faculty for distinguished awards and retirements and, you know, the whole kind of end of year thing. So we had our 12 ambassadors and we're sitting on stage all together. And one of, well, Two of my ambassador friends, one was right next to me. His name was Jur Her. Um, oh, man. And and next to Jur <laughs> was Todd Kittle. Now, Todd's dad was the chief or was the sheriff of the county. So, um, and, and Todd is a complete prankster. Um, and, and Jur I, was like my best, my best friend. You know, when I attended UWMC, he, he lived a couple blocks away, just loved hanging out with him. Great guy. Um, and, and Todd, so anyway, I'm kind of looking at Todd and I kind of get the nod from Todd of, you know, I kind of like, I'm going to try something here, but you got to like go along with it. And you know how you can just do the subtle nod and, and you just know somebody well enough where they're like, okay. So 
the dean is up there speaking. I don't know. He's doing some kind of whatever about the university and growth and great things. And and I'm kind of leaning over. I'm talking to Drew. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you're up next. And he's like, yeah, what, what are you talking about? And then and then Todd leans in. He's like, Jerry, you're up next. You're talking about the ambassadors, like the role of ambassador, what you've seen, your personal growth, things like that. And she's like, what? We're like, yeah, yeah. That Kevin, you know, who kind of oversaw us, like you, 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 you didn't hear from Kevin. I didn't hear from Kevin. I'm like, Jerry, well, don't worry about it. You nail it. Like, just go up there. There's nothing you have to prepare for. It's just you go up and you talk about what it's like to be an ambassador and and stuff and 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 of course you know we're just we have unconvinced and at that point he's like okay i got it yeah that's no problem so i'm like yeah what you're supposed to do is when the dean is like sitting down you go up and then that's you know you do that and then you just come back and sit down so the dean gets done everybody's clapping you know hey you know this is great university's rocking and he, as he's sitting down Jer stands up and makes his way up to the podium and he's adjusting the mic and nowhere in, in anything does it say there's this, this, this presentation out of this very detailed, every single thing that's going on. And, and, you know, we're Todd and I are just like staring forward at this point. Like we want to make eye contact with nobody. And Jur goes in to this off the cuff, like five minute, incredible presentation about what it was like to be an ambassador and the, you know, being a part of the community and getting to meet people and, and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, then he, you know, you sit there round of applause and he sits down and stuff like that. And then we're like, yeah, like, uh, dude, you weren't supposed to do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> that when we told like right away, he sits down and, and we kind of lean in we're like, yeah, he's like, so, we didn't hear from the dean. Dean didn't say anything after that, you know. And I'm not even sure that the dean didn't think that there was some arrangement that happened. Whoever was putting this together, that there was supposed to be some representation because Georges was so fluent in how he did this. But yeah, he goes up, and and the fact is, he just nails it, and he probably makes this thing better than it would have been anyway. Um, sure, he just adds to it. And, and totally. Yeah. And, and we're just sitting there. Um, and I mean, we honestly, I respect the guy. He was a good friend. We wouldn't have done this if we, if we would have known he would have gone up there and, and you know, had a fear of speaking and would have struggled. We, but he was, he was a confident, he was a cool guy. And, uh, yeah. So Drew goes up and gives the speech that never should have happened. And <laughs> I don't know. Hey, and this reminds me, did you, did you know, was it, was it FDR? Like the, the, um, the day that will live in infamy, that speech. Okay. Um, so there's, there's research studies on that. So he went to, he had, he had a nasal, this, this is factual. Okay. Now I'm telling, I got, now I got to start prefacing things factual <laughs> so people can actually go in and research. This is true. But he, he had a sinus infection and he, he's, he felt like he was speaking very nasally and, and he wasn't going to have the powerful type of presentation that he wanted. So there were two things that happened. One is he had a speechwriter who came up with a pretty detailed speech. It was supposed to go like 11 minutes or something. Um, and he, he wrote the speech for FDR. And, and so that's part of it that FDR he's supposed to do the this, this speech. And the other part is uh, FDR goes to his doctor and he said, you know, I've got the sinus thing and the, and the doctor gives him cocaine. Okay. Gives him cocaine. 
and and again this is the, you could find this this is out there and it's this, this is a historical fact the amount of cocaine was never i think identified but does give him cocaine because it was a treatment to open up the nostrils to to do this <laughs> i bet it was so basically um he goes up there and gives this 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 speech that nowhere has been written down he it's basically like takes the first line of it and then from that point it's just like free you know he's just he just rolls with it and he creates this thing from and it's you know it's like four minutes it's supposed to be 11 and it's just it's a speech now all of us like you know we're like the the infamy speech you know in roosevelt doesn't even remember you know giving this giving this speech you know and, and things like that he's like why am i covered in ants and they're like <laughs> cut it, edit that part out you know that's what they're telling people <laughs> edit, edit that part out 10 second delay but no <laughs> But no, yeah, I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me! You know, I'm going through like the history facts, and I did. I, 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 it was substantiated that he didn't follow the speech, and and they think that he was, you know, part of this was, you know, he he just how powerful the presentation was, and that he freelanced it was because of the cocaine. Wow. So so yeah, I mean, all these little quirky things like from from history. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I, to this day, I'm I'm just thinking that is that is just one of the the weirdest things, um, you know, to to think about. But that's interesting, though. I mean, it, so the next time you give a speech, maybe, just maybe. No, not really. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say it for real. I don't want to jeopardize your chances at uh, at uh, any. Um, witnessing but, but you know i can you know usually and i don't have any just like you i mean i don't have any fear of of presenting to people but there's every one once in a while when you're presenting for a while and all of a sudden you start to realize your mind is caught up to what you're saying so you're actually analyzing the words you're saying and i'm like ooh, like i'm not i'm not exactly sure what i'm gonna say next like you, then you got to take a little bit of a, a break or something and and kind of get caught up because i'm i'm trying to like invent the words as I'm as I'm saying, but uh, <laughs> add a couple of syllables but, here. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of going through. I, I did, yeah, I did, I did a, um, a presentation and um, I color coded the parts because I was kind of tag teaming with somebody else, and I had set the whole thing up for them. They were with the district, and I didn't realize I went over into one of their parts. Um, so I kind of put them in an awkward spot to then give some kind of like a juror her type of little synopsis without really following the script or something, but I don't know. That didn't work very well. I, 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 the color coding thing, when you're working with people that you really haven't worked with before, just isn't, isn't a good model. Someone's like, Hey, I'm colorblind. I'm like, Oh no, no, <laughs> no, it's no. really blue. I swear. This is, uh, I'm like, this is we're we're in trouble. We're in trouble right now. So I just print everything now on just, you know, kind of separate pages and, and I figure out, you know, saying more or saying less, you know, obviously is, is better and, and things like that. And, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, as we wrap this up, I think we covered some really relevant, pertinent content in a society that is only going to continue, unfortunately, to experience, um, you know, a, attacks, um, just weird things. Like I, I saw in the news, like, you know, Baltimore, you know, suffering um, from from so much heroin addiction that librarians are trained now to administer Narcan, Narcan, Narcan the the nasal inhaler, which yeah. count, counteracts you know some levels of of these drugs. Um, 
And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's either, you know, it's either that or it's, you know, part of a glacier broke off or, you know, oil rig and something else. And, and it's one of these things where one is, I think we need to keep informing people. And the other one is, you know, we, we can't get too, too lost in this, this social narrative because I think that can just cause paralysis. I mean, it can it can just freak you out to the point where, you know, it's you, you went on, you went on, on an ambulance driver, um, Stefan, Stephen Kavalkovic, Stephen. Yeah. Stephen. Um, yes. And there was something very interesting when he was talking about his experience of being an ambulance driver. Um, and I believe he said because of addiction, that was why he lost that position. Right. Because Correct. of addiction. Yep. And I actually had, had been part of a training where um, there was an ambulance driver who talked about, a young guy, but he talked about how he, um, it, so there were places he would respond to and then he couldn't go back there like again. So maybe it was an accident at the corner of Maine and 2nd Street. So as he's driving, he would bypass that area. And then it just compounded. And eventually, like, to go from his town, his place, a half mile to the grocery store would take him a half hour because he would have to try to navigate all these routes where nothing bad had ever happened. So it was just, it was a psychological thing he couldn't process anymore. And he, he did go in for treatment and and ended up leaving um, as a paramedic. And I think he changed towns, but then he came back, actually, and served then as a paramedic. Um but he was giving this presentation and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like it was just, it was just crazy. But yeah, he said he, everywhere, like he went, he was just making these visual maps of, Oh yeah, this is where, where we picked up the guy that had the heart attack. You know, this is yeah where the, the person, um, you know, had the, the tree limb they were cutting down, you know, that, that, you know, killed him when it fell down. And this is where the accident was. And, and, and I'm like, Oh my goodness. It was just, and, and so when you did that interview, it kind of reminded me of, of the pressures of how those memories, um, you know, they don't have a chance to, to this cumulative stress. And that's why when you, when you had him on, you know, as a debriefer and I don't get called in a lot, um, but it's like, he goes through so much and, and all the other responders and they're not debriefed, you know, they, they, their debriefing is like he said, at seven o'clock in the morning when the bar the bar opens up and it's the night shift nurses and doctors and him and whatever. Right. And, and you kind of commiserate. Um, and, and then you throw yourself into bed for a few hours and you do it again. And I, I think his, his experience is really a symptom of a significantly flawed system of how we work with our responders. Um, you know, realistically, like in our town, we have 10,000 people, and last year was the most responses the uh, um, fire department had. And it's mine from like 10 years ago, it's up like 20-fold. And it just is continuing. So these things used to be more sporadic, and, and you know, you would have time to decompress and stuff, but it's just not that way anymore. And, of course, he, he was, what, Jersey City, so, I mean, you're a high population, high dense area. You're going to have a lot of stuff going on. He's a young guy. Yeah. Um, and and that's one of the things as a debriefer, um, you know, it, it is so important to have people to be able to do that. And I, I really felt for him as he's telling, as he's sharing that experience, because I'm like, 
he was the direct cause of a root cause which happens everywhere that nobody wants to admit that it is going on you know like everyone's going to be an iron iron man iron woman you're just going to deal with this you're going to process it but it is this this cumulative stress disorder and as he's telling that i'm like i i i understand the science behind what brought him to where he was at like i I totally i i totally get it um so that's why i think i might have contacted you and, and said you know um if if he had an interest in contacting me because that was one thing as a debriefer i wanted to throw past him um what what do you think might have been different or did you attend any debriefings and i I think he mentioned a couple that he he might have gone to but there was also the fear of like well if you go to that you're stereotyped as not being strong right uh, and stuff like that and and so yeah i i I struggle with that because, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on some debriefings, which honestly have, I I mean, and I'm neutral to this. I mean, I wasn't there, but I mean, debriefings where like, I almost crumble, you know, like, and I'm like, I can't, I've got to keep this together for everybody who's in the room and it might be hours and I'll come home and I'll run at night. And, And just to close this out. So I'm running Sunday, Sunday night, I'm out running late. Um, and I had some, I had some expert witness report stuff to get done. Um, and I think I shared with you, there's nothing like when 17,000 pages of deposition, you know, get delivered to your house under a timeline, but, um, I'm, I'm out running late Sunday night and, uh, I get pulled over by the police. Not, it's not, it's not a first It's happened to me before as it is running and not running with a spear or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> or a baseball bat or a, uh, an not empty, dressed as a ninja a or case, not ju- yeah. dressed as a ninja. I had a, 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 a neon vest on running shoes. You know, I don't want to say old man because I don't believe I'm old man, but you know, the Bellamy brothers, that song old hippie, like he's an old hippie and he don't know what to do. Should he hang out <laughs> yeah. to the old? Should he and then the song is about a 35 year old guy. I'm like, I'm, like going to be 46 in two weeks. I'm like 35. Come on. But anyway, so I get pulled over and, and, uh, and, and the guy, young officer, you know, so like 20 years younger than I am. And you know, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm like, yeah, I, I said, I'm doing all right. You know, some just had a lot of paperwork stuff and it's a really nice night. I mean, it was a really nice night here. It was, you know, still probably like upper sixties and great, great running. And I said, you know, I got my vest on and, and so I'm like, is there a problem? He's like, no, no, you live around here. I'm like, yeah, I live, live, you know, right up, give me the address, stuff like that. And, you know, he doesn't run it or anything. Like at that point, sees me and he's like, okay, this guy's fine. And then, and then he stops and he goes, well, hey, uh, what's the, what's the status of Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Packers quarterback. Okay. <laughs> he goes, he goes, well, yeah, what, what's the status of Aaron Rodgers? I'm like, yeah, I think he's out for the year with a broken collarbone. Guy's like, what? You know, he's like, I've been, I've been like just nonstop stops all day. Like my shift is going to end like, you know, in a half hour. And this guy had been on shift during the game and he had, he didn't get the updates. And so he's got his computer, but he's like trying to do some paperwork. And he said, he, he had no idea. I mean, a guy, he just knew he was injured. So he's, he's asking me and then he gets into 15 minutes of, we're just talking Packers. That's all we're talking is football. And then what are they going to do? They're going to run Aaron Jones after this or whatever. And then, and I'm like, Hey, you know, and. I attended games back when Favre was there and before Favre. And I'm like, I remember the stadium before they had a jumbotron. And the guy's like, really? 
I'm like, yeah, and you know, it was just like a regular scoreboard just told you the there's just the numbers, you know, just lit up. <laughs> I'm like, it was the guy's like amazing. I mean, it's like it's like a history. Like this didn't, you know, honestly, you know, he's going to tell people. I met someone who actually went to the stadium before he had a jumbotron. Yeah, I did. Seriously, look at the pictures. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but it's like, the guy's like just yeah. I'm like yeah, it was uh, so it was this so funny thing, and then. And he was like, do you play fantasy football? I'm like, yeah, I'm in two leagues. And uh, Guy Packers, yeah. I'm like, I ran old Cobb and a couple others. I'm going to mount off to drop him or something and stuff like that. I said, yeah. So, you know, he's like, yeah, I've been in a couple leagues with whatever and stuff. I'm like, and, and at some point I'm thinking like, shouldn't you get back on, you know, the patrol thing? And, and by the way, like I live in the neighborhood and, you know, you just people are driving by and, you know, so, <laughs> you know. You're I, running cocaine. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, <laughs> We don't need this whole narrative of 12 o'clock at night, you know, the police were out there with Dave for 15 minutes and stuff like this. So yeah, that those, those can kind of, can kind of stop. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been more than, more than once. And sometimes, you know, I'll run, I'll, I'll run late, but the, the thing is though, like after I do like a debriefing, I typically go out and I'll run and the debriefings get done later um, and things like that. But, uh, but no, you know, I always, I always thank the police, you know, I'm like, thanks for, you know, checking out the the town and, and and things like that and part of it too is i'll say like well if you ever see anything out here you know because you you know you know the area or whatever and i don't know it's a pretty safe area i don't really see anything but you know but yeah yeah so i i am yeah they're like hey stop this guy he keeps up on all the sports you know <laughs> for your sports fix <laughs> for your sports fix like yeah run down slaver street and then yeah you're gonna see this guy and and uh yeah he'll have it he'll have it so just just go there just pull him over yeah just ask for the hey, scores. Man, what you got, man? You got the scores, man. You got the scores. <laughs> Started out light with conversation. Don't go there right away. You don't want to freak them out. Yeah, yeah seriously. It, it, I don't have it, any scores. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any. No. He's like, how about the Philadelphia game? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, what? You got a, you got an Android, don't you? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to look away. You go, you go look at scores. And then tell me. <laughs> Just say that. I mean, I mean, it's so funny. This guy's like, he's 25. He's, he's cool. He's fun. You know? But the whole context of the thing was just so weird. That is odd. Yeah. Um, and and again, you know, and, and then it gets into this whole thing and, and then, yeah, the history. And then he's actually in the presence of someone that attended the stadium when it only sat, you know, 52,000 and not the 80,000 and was this corrugated, you know, just this, this horrible place to watch any type of, of game and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I, I just got a, I, I got a kick out of it. It, it just it, it it made my day so <laughs> awesome. Anything else here, Larry? Anything big coming? No, I have got to. I got a dog that is uh, that is diabetic, and she is dying to get her shot. Well, I shouldn't say dying; she is anxious to get her well, shot. You need to take you need to take care of that fast. <laughs> I do, I do. So, <laughs> so I appreciate um, I appreciate the co show. I've been I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And I think, again, not think I, people are going to get benefit out of this. And, and again, people have the same questions that we have about things like, like, you know, just kind of navigating this whole thing with, with podcasting. And I'll say again, readilyrandom.com, go there, check out um, the shows that Larry uh, produces. Um, they're number one for me. I, I love them. Um, and, you know, I, I just can't say enough. Thanks for jumping in and, and doing what you do, Larry. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My, you know, I, it's like I tell Twyla, my mission is just to get the word out there and get a variety of different stories and try to bring some fresh perspectives on the same old stories that we hear and, and hear it from directly from the individual that, that's experienced it. So, Dr. Proden, thank you very much for coming on the show back in the early days. And I got to be honest, I don't remember how I found you either, but it had to do with some Twitter related, I'm sure. Yeah. Did you do a preface on that show? Like, you know, safety, it's typically really boring and it's, it's it really kind of sucks. I did not but do that. Show no. not that way. Like no, everybody I, else I has to do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. This is another exciting episode of the Readily Random Podcast. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got to think of some way maybe maybe to uh, to address that or 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 yeah, yeah, something a little bit, because it seems like everybody has to intro me with that phrase of of just wait. This was this isn't going to be. Yeah. You know, ladder heights or, or OSHA. A good one, or, I swear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're not going to test water quality or anything like that or, you know, whatever it is. So. Um, yeah, well, well, I appreciate it. Uh, take care of your dog. I'll keep uh, keep in tune, and we'll keep in contact. And again, yes, uh, thanks for all that you do. And and really, Larry, on a very serious note, though, the the shows, um, especially the personal stories, um, I, I I just know I know people listen to those and they reflect, and it helps people. Um, and so many people just struggling, and and when they hear some of these stories, um, I I just think it's it's that boost, it's that change in perspective. And these are stories are knocking out of the media, but these are the stories that you're putting out there. In addition to these fasting stories like Joe Navarro, um, who people, um, you know, don't, don't realize how inner workings of, of, of the, the, the big mechanisms of society and, and all this kind of intrigue and all that stuff. And I just love it. You know, I, I just love, I, I love all of you, all of your work and, uh, you know, so, but, uh, but, but I appreciate take care, it so take much care of the dog. So. Thank you again for having me on the show. I love the co-show. I can't wait to uh, to promote it as well. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. I appreciate it. Larry, you have a great evening. Signing you too. out here from the Safety Dock and Readily Random. Everybody, take care. Be safe. And, hey, let's live a good life. And, Larry, close it out with the Readily Random. And uh, this has been another exciting episode of the Readily Random Podcast. How's that? And And the music is... Oh, it's, uh, what is it? Oh, you can be larger than life. <laughs> Good Lord, you put me on the life. spot. You, you can, can be, be larger than life. That's the tagline for the entire show. Yes. So the, be, uh, what is the song? You can what? be larger, larger than, than life. life. Yes. Yeah, by Pink Pink Zebra. So I, yes, I, I by the Pink Zebra.